Today I'm going to start a new series. And this series, I've entitled it Privileges of the Kingdom. And the, the content is, well, the individual sermons are unique. But the structure of the series isn't really unique. I've preached two series already, really, about these seven things that we're going to look at. But looking at them today as privileges of what being a part of the kingdom of God affords us. I'm going to start today with Luke chapter 15, story of the prodigal son. I'm going to cover the whole story. I won't read it all here at the opening of my text. And in fact, to be honest with you, it was not my intended text. I was anticipating and looking for what is entitled didactic literature, which is teaching material. And the passage I'm going to read, while it does teach, is a narrative portion of Scripture where Jesus is telling a story, a somewhat familiar story. Luke 15, verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Today, for just the next few minutes, I want to preach this privilege to belong, privilege to belong. God bless you. You may be seated. This is the third parable that Jesus tells in this particular setting. He has been in communication and dialogue with the religious leaders of the day, specifically in this instance, the Pharisees, which were his primary nemesis. He tells two additional parables in the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 15. And he starts with the parable of the lost sheep, where the the shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of those gets lost. And he leaves the 99 sheep and he goes after the one sheep who is lost. And Jesus is doing, he's building on a theme here. And and after the, the shepherd finds 
the lost sheep, he brings it back. And the Bible would tell us that the angels of heaven rejoice over one sinner who has repented. This bringing up of the lost sheep home, this bringing of that which had been lost and is now found celebrating what has been done, they have come home. And then he tells a second parable, and it is of the lost coin where the lady has ten coins. She loses one of the ten. We're down to now from one percent, or we're up, I guess I should say, from one percent of the total sheep to now ten percent of the coins. And so she goes everywhere throughout her house. She does some deep spring cleaning trying to find it. Sweeps in every corner looking for the coin. And she finally finds it. And when she does, she rejoices. And once again, Jesus makes this parallel that the angels in heaven are rejoicing over one who has been found, the sinner who has repented and has come home. And then the NLT, which I was reading starts with this phrase to further illustrate the point, as though they couldn't get it with two stories and two parables. Now Jesus goes into an extended parable of some 23 verses, and he tells the story of the lost son. We call it, of course, the prodigal son, the son who was in the father's house and the son who went away. And it illustrates, what, what he's really illustrating is this, and when the text says to further, further illustrate this point, he's illustrating God's desire to see those who are lost, to see them saved. To see those who are outside of the family of God, outside of the house of God, if it were, to see them come into the kingdom of God, to the family of God, the house of God. And so he further illustrates it by telling this extended parable. It is of a wealthy man who has two sons. They're not twins. One is older. One is younger. And the younger son decides that he doesn't want to wait. And you've heard me mention this in, even in recent weeks. And, and once again, I was not anticipating preaching from this particular passage of Scripture. But I was sitting where Sister Hill is sitting there few days ago and thinking about and praying about what I was going to preach and felt like God led me to preach this passage. But this younger son, he decides that he wants his inheritance early. He doesn't want to wait for his father to die. He wants his money now. Anybody deal with it? You want stuff when you want it and you want, usually it's right now? Anybody besides me? You go to a fast food restaurant, it takes more than 36 and a half seconds, and you're like, what's wrong with the people? Anybody? Okay. All right. I'm... Patience is a virtue. I'm still working on that. The son, he, he looks at his father and he says, I don't want to wait for you to die. Go ahead and give me my money now. The father in the story, he is one of those fathers who... I'm assuming tries to make things equal because he doesn't just give the younger son his inheritance. He, he agrees to do this. I'm not dead. I'm going to give you inheritance. I'm going to give it to you now. But if you notice in the text, he gives the younger son his inheritance and he gives the older son his inheritance as well. Trying to maybe be equal and to treat them the same and 
I'm sure not liking the idea that the younger son is wanting it now. He can't wait. He's impatient. And if need be, Father, why don't you just go ahead and pass off the scene so I can have what I want. The younger son, as soon as he gets his inheritance, he packs up his belongings and he goes to a distant land. This distant land, I, if you remember, it's, I've mentioned it a few times. It's, it's not necessarily that it's hundreds or thousands of miles away. It is a distance away. But it's also symbolic of a spiritual far land. In fact, the New Testament would use that language of a far land or a distant land. And it could be just across the river. But the deal is they're a long way from God. He goes to a land where he can do what he wants. He's, he can go to this land where it goes against his religious upbringings and he spends his money on wild living. He wasn't just satisfied with having the money. He wanted to use the money. Sometimes people are satisfied with just having money. Knowing you've got money in the bank is good enough. Other people, they have to spend everything they have. Anybody fall into that camp? He spends all of his money, and specifically, he wastes his money. He's not investing it. He's not buying property. He's not buying things, appreciable assets. He's just wasting his money. And to compound this, famine sweeps the land. He's hungry. No money. Scarcity of food. And when food is scarce, guess what happens? The prices go up. It's called inflation. Or supply and demand, we call it inflation right now. There's plenty of supply usually. Our money's just not worth a whole lot right now. Now I'm meddling. Famine sweeps the land. He gets hired by a farmer to feed the pigs. And as I mentioned, Jews, of course, don't have pigs. This is part of that far land, this far country. He's not just in the nation of Israel any longer, but he is in a Gentile place and he is feeding pigs. And he looks at what he is feeding them and he decides that it's, it looks pretty good. When you're starving, you'll eat just about anything. The NLT uses this word, he saw the pods that the pigs were eating. More specifically, these particular pods were from the carob tree. Poor people would eat them, but most of the time it was saved for the animals. And in the middle of doing this, feeding pigs, which he had always been told were unclean animals, and not having anything to eat, the Bible says that he came to his senses. And he does what? All good people do at times, he talked to himself. And he said to himself, even the servants have it good in my father's house. I'm a servant. I'm, I'm actually, he wasn't even a servant. He's hired by this farmer, but he doesn't have enough money to eat on. And nobody's giving him food. And he said, even the servants, the ones who aren't getting paid in my father's house, they have plenty of food. They're better off there. And he devises a plan. This plan he devises is to convince his father to take him on as a servant. Verse 18, he 
says to himself, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Recognizing that he sinned against his father by disrespecting him and by asking for his inheritance early and then wasting it on wicked lifestyle and wicked living. And, but also recognizing here he is in a pig pen. He has sinned against God with the way in which he's been living and even in the place where he is then. And he says, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I'll I'll work for you. He makes his way home. Verse 20 would tell us. So he returned home to his father. And while still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. This, of course, illustrates that his father was watching for him. No doubt he he was probably on a daily basis saying sometime the money's going to run out or sometimes he, sometime he's going to have a change of heart and he's going out and he's looking and a long way off, he sees him coming. Looking for him, recognizing him, he looks different than when he left. When he left, he was in nice clothes and he was in nice garments and he was all proud and arrogant and when he comes back, he's probably dirty and filthy clothes ragged and torn, coming back with humility, his father runs to him. And he starts his speech. He says, his father, father, I have sinned. Remember, he said this is what he was going to do. I'm going to, I got it all planned out. I'm going to tell him exactly at the right word, he says, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. At that point, though, his plan takes a turn. His plan takes a little bit of a detour. Where now he's supposed to be going, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Will you hire me as a servant? Will you just take me back as a servant? But if you read the text, he doesn't get to that point. His father interrupts him, says to his other servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. I like NLT, so the party began. The celebration, he was dead and now he's come back to life. He's come back to me. He was lost and now he's found and his father's like, let's celebrate. He celebrates by putting on clothes and let's dress him up in the finest outfit that we have and let's get the best animal that we have and let's kill the fatted calf. We've been waiting on an opportunity to celebrate and this is the moment. Let's throw a party and everybody gets to participate. A friend of mine, Atlanta, Georgia, in fact, this church is the one who bought this baptistry over here. They're monthly partners of ours as well. And he does this deal. I think they went 55 Sundays in a row. 
where they were able to celebrate what they called What's With the Party. And what they were celebrating is every Sunday they would celebrate, put on the screen the pictures of those from the previous week who had been baptized in water in the name of Jesus or who had been filled with the Holy Spirit evidence with speaking in other tongues. And every week they would throw a celebration party and they would put them up and they would celebrate what God had done. And this is what has happened here. The Father said, hey, He's come back and you're celebrating what He's done. And once again, just like with the sheep and just like with the coin, The angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who's come home. One sinner who has repented and come back to God. The older brother, symbolic, though of the Pharisees that are standing by. He's out in the fields. He's working. He comes home. He hears the celebration. He hears the music. He hears the dancing. And he's, of course, not happy. He asks the servants what's going on. And they say, your brother's back. Your father has killed the fattened calf. As I mentioned in Sunday school, when it uses language like that, you know, it's not just we're just having a feast, but he's killed the fattened calf. Special. But setting it aside. Maybe the older brother was saying, hey, there's going to come something to celebrate. It's going to be killed for me, the special fattened calf. The servants told him we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and would not go into the party. His father, hearing that he had returned, goes out and he begs him to come in. And they have this conversation. The older brother would say, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing. And all the time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And it's not my intention really to dwell on the older brothers who in this story are symbolic of the Pharisees who are pushing back on Jesus talking to sinners and Jesus trying to reach sinners. And Jesus paints them in this story as that older brother who's not happy with those who come into a relationship with with God, and it's a necessary piece of the story, but it's not the focus for me today. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. This celebration at those who have come home. The celebration of those who have come back to the Father's house. And in here specifically, what I would say those, whether you've been in the Father's house before or not, or whether you've been a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and you walk away, when you come back, there's celebration. Or when you come for the first time, because in one sense, everybody is away from God. That all of us are away from Him and in need of salvation and in need of restoration and need to be brought into the Father's house. Can I get an amen today? So what does this mean for you and I today? Why? What's important about what does it? What does it mean? I would tell you four particular truths or points of application today. Anything in the Father's house 
is better than everything outside the Father's house. That it doesn't matter how little you may have and what little role you may play, anything in the Father's house is better than everything outside of the Father's house. So you, can, you don't have to be on this platform, you don't have to teach Sunday school, you don't have to do just about anything, but just show up and worship God and just being a servant, if it were that, I'm just, I'm just here, God, to give you praise. That's much better than the greatest thing you could achieve out there, that's much better than fame and fortune, that's much better than anything that you would offer and want to find in the world. Anything in the Father's house is better than everything outside His house. Second truth would be this, that coming home to the Father's house always begins with repentance. He came to Himself. He came to His senses and He recognized that there's a problem. Even the servants have it better, He said. I will go to my Father and I will say, I have sinned against both heaven and against you. That's repentance. I shouldn't have taken the money and I shouldn't have left and I shouldn't have wasted it. I shouldn't have gone to a far country. But I did. And the only way back is to start with a change of mind. To say, I've sinned and I've got to turn around and I've got to go back to the Father's house. I've got to change my way of living. I've got to change my way of thinking. What I, what I valued so highly just a few months ago, it doesn't mean anything because here I am, the pig pen. And it starts with repentance. And I would tell you this, God wants you to be saved more than you want to be saved. That He wants to be in relationship with you more than you want to be in relationship with Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And and what Paul would write, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and gave Himself for us. Jesus paid it all. You have to want to be in the Father's house. It takes a change of mind and a change of attitude and a change of thinking. The third truth that I would find in this is that only you can stop you from coming to the Father's house. The devil can't stop you. There's nothing the enemy can do to keep you from coming to Jesus. Legion, the demoniac in Gadara, Legion actually the name of what the demons would say, because he had some 2,000 plus demons living inside of him, he's bound in chains, he's living in a graveyard outside of the city, and because of the, the demon possession, he would break the chains and they couldn't stop him crazy things that he would do, but when Jesus walks up, those 2,000 demons couldn't stop him from bowing his knee to Jesus. They couldn't, those demons couldn't keep him from having an interaction with Jesus. And those demons couldn't keep him from being delivered. The devil can't stop you, and people shouldn't stop you. 
there are a lot of people that may try to keep you from coming to the Father's house. And even after you make it, there are plenty of people like the older brother. What are they doing? Why? The party. Why the celebration? I've been serving God 50 years or 40 years or who do they think they are? And sometimes people allow others to push them away from God. But they really can't stop you. Only you can stop you. Only you can decide if you're going to follow Jesus or not. Only you can decide if you're going to let what people think and what people say and the difficulties of life keep you from following the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And part of the reason is this, it's because it's his house. And he paid it all. And nobody can keep you out of his house if the owner of the house wants you in it. You belong to the family of God. The fourth truth is this, and I'm hurrying, is you're not just a servant, but you're a child of God. The Bible does call us servants. The synonymous term is minister. They mean the same thing. One maybe sounds demeaning, the other sounds a minister. It's really the same thing. What are you doing? You're serving God. You're serving His people. You're serving the world. Sharing the love of Jesus. But while the Bible does use that word of us, we're not just servants. But you are a child of God. Which is why Paul would write that we can cry, Abba, Father. That whether Jew or Gentile, no matter what your ethnicity and what, no matter what your background, we, we don't just call him master, but we get to call him father. We get to call him father because we're one of his children and we have received the spirit of adoption that Paul would say, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Or Peter would write this, that you who are not a people are now a people and you who, have not, who had not obtained mercy have now obtained mercy. We're part of the family of God, and what's important about that is this, is that if you're a son or a child of God, there's still an inheritance. There's more still to come. The father had divided up his inheritance between the two boys. But when he says to the older brother who has complained, he says, all that I have is yours. There's still more. There's still plenty left over. That when we receive the Holy Spirit, all we really receive is a, a down payment, the Bible would say. It's just a little deposit on what's coming. That there are still streets of gold and gates of pearl and walls of jasper. There's still an eternity with Jesus. And there's still an opportunity that we're going to have to live with Him forever. Anybody looking forward to that day when you can live with Him forever? Our past before Jesus doesn't hinder what God can do with us in the present and in the future. So as I wrap this up, there is 
a thing that appears to be true of all people. That is this. Everyone wants to belong. Everybody wants to belong. Maslow Psychologist would come up with what has been termed Maslow's hierarchy. It has five major components to that hierarchy. The first is this it is physiological, that we have the need to take care of our physical need, clothing, shelter, food. I love that. That the base need for people is be able to eat, be able to live. Jesus would himself Reference this in the Sermon on the Mount. Take no thought, he would say, of what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. You're going to live because I'll take care of all that. You seek first the kingdom. Those basic needs are all going to be taken care of. Then... The next level of Maslow's hierarchy is this. It's safety and security. Being safe from harm and not being in danger. The third level that he identified is where I'll stop today. But the third level is the need for love and the need to belong. That everybody wants to be loved. And everybody has a need to belong. It's why people who on one hand would say they don't want to be like everybody else and they they want to stand out from the crowd. But they usually don't stand out from the crowd. They just stand out with a different piece of the crowd. I don't know how prevalent it is today, but skaters, I mean, they dress different from us, from non-skaters didn't have to look too hard to figure out who was a skater or not. They weren't an individual. Just fit in with a different crowd. Because everybody wants to belong. I know people who would say on one hand they don't like people. Don't really care what people think. and a shell everybody wants to belong everybody wants to be loved 
And what I would tell you is that when you come to the kingdom of God, it doesn't really matter what else in your life has gone wrong. It doesn't matter who else in your life has rejected you. You can hear all manner of stories of, that would break your heart when you hear of parents abandoning children. Or heard another story yesterday. Parent that just says, yeah, I just decided I don't want to you around anymore and no matter what kind of facade we put up everybody wants to believe you go to your house why is it comfortable because you belong there you go to your neighbor's house or you go to somebody else's house it's a little uncomfortable even if they're friends because it's just not familiar it's not where you belong but everybody wants to belong and in the kingdom of God when you come into the family of God we are privileged to belong to his family we're privileged to belong in his kingdom we're privileged to be brothers and sisters we're privileged to be joint heirs with Christ so my call to action today is really simple got to believe God wants you in his family if you don't believe he wants you in your family you'll never make it if you're always as the saying would go waiting on the other shoe to drop always thinking it's too good to be true always thinking there's got to be a catch you won't make it because you're going to find stuff that's not there but God wants you in his family starts with that and then you just have to it's so simple yet so difficult you just have to obey the gospel obey that death, burial and resurrection that repentance, that baptism in water in the name of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Ghost and then when you do that just time to celebrate and say welcome home there are people in this room you may never have been in the family of God oh you've been in church you've come to church you've visited other churches but you haven't really joined the family of God Maybe it's because of other people that you're not sure that they want you. Maybe you think they're like the older brother and they're going to be judgmental. Or maybe you just believe that the Father can't really love you and want you that much. If you've never been in the family of God, today's the day to join. You don't join by filling out a card. You don't join by shaking my hand. You don't show... You don't even join by just showing up every week. You join by committing your life to Jesus and obeying the gospel through repentance and baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And when you do, you belong to the family of God. So whether you've never been or you've been away, whether you were like really the prodigal in the story who started out in the Father's house and went to a far country, you can come back today. It's time to come home.
Would you stand together today? God, I thank you today for your goodness to us. I thank you for the privileges we have in your kingdom, one of those which is to belong, to become part of the body of Christ, or that universal body of Christ that all true believers are part of, and to be part of the local assembly like this one, that we can see and be a part of that family of God on an ongoing basis. Not just knowing we're part of something bigger, but having something close and local that says this is the body of Christ. Lord, I thank you today for your spirit that is permeating this room today. I thank you today, Lord, because you have shown up today. And it's not just, Lord, what I what I feel, but I know that others in this room feel it. I see it on their face. I hear it in the smattering praise and prayer throughout the last few minutes. Lord, you have called us to be part of your family. And it doesn't matter what we've done before, we can still be part of your family. It doesn't matter who's rejected us before. Lord, you are standing with welcome and open arms. And in fact, just like in this parable that you told, Lord, you're running toward us. You're not even waiting on us to get all the way here. You're coming to us and you're you're seeking to hug. You're seeking to pull us in and to pull us close. You're seeking to celebrate. And we have come home. Father, I pray today those in this room who haven't made that final step they've grown tired of the the pig pen they know that there's something better they've they've seen that there's something better they haven't fully made the decision to follow you and to fully obey the gospel Lord I pray today that this would be the day that this would be the moment that they come home. No matter where you are today, whether you're away from God or you've never left, would you just find a place around this altar to kneel, to stand, but would you step out of your seat? I know I say that and And I mean it every week, but there's something about stepping out in faith that our physical act of moving, it generates a different level of faith and commitment. God, we worship you today. God, we thank you that you have called us to be part of your family. We thank you that you've called us to be part of your family.